on this episode of Common Mystics, we answer the call of two wronged women from beyond the grave asking us to set the record straight. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are common mystics. We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places. And today's story comes to you from West Union, West Virginia. Jennifer. Jill. We need to get right into this. Let's do it. Like right now. Please remind our listeners of our intention. Our intention always is to find a verifiable story previously unknown to us that gives voice to the voiceless. That's right. And on this particular day, we were headed east from Parksburg, West Virginia, and we were headed towards Virginia. Right. We were on our Southeast road trip in March of 2022, and we were driving through West Virginia on 50 East. And as we were driving, you were getting a very distinctive impression. Tell me a little bit about that. I was. I was feeling a man who was disabled. At the time, I thought that he had been like a veteran of war because he was tore up. You know what I mean? He was <laughs> yes. shot and tore up and he appeared to be injured, disabled. Yeah. Well, how else would your mind process that, right? Exactly. Like you would, yeah. yeah. You're assuming because he's like disabled and tore up, you're thinking and veteran. shot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. He must have been through war. But we'll find out that that wasn't exactly true, but it pointed like us the in imagery. the right direction. Do you? Yeah, I do like the imagery because <laughs> it makes about sense. You? What about you? I was channeling our granddaddy from West Virginia. Mm. Our grandfather, Dorsey, was a womanizer. He was. He was free-spirited. He did what he liked. He was also quite a bit of a drinker. He also fathered a lot of children by different women. That's a true statement. And he got around. He he really did. <laughs> he really did. I was also feeling psychically the idea of a man who was a loner is somewhat mm. not accepted by society, someone not liked, not well-liked. Okay. And I was feeling like this was a very difficult place to live. Mm -hmm. It felt as if it was not an easy life. I was not having an easy life. That mm. that was the what was being cultivated in spirit for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other thing, I remember just being upset in the car with you. Because we were going over the stories that we thought we had at that point. And I was feeling really frustrated. I remember arguing with you. I'm like, all of the stories are giving voice to men. Do we have no women on this entire road trip? Are there no women? You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, it was, I remember. I do think that that was spirit coming through. Like, 100%. you know what I mean? 100%. A hundred percent. Yeah. So so that came through loud and clear, the idea that women need a voice now. You were very compelling. You were saying that there are dead women who need us to speak for them. Where are I they? Where that. are those stories? I stand and I'm by like, that. Well, Jennifer, you know what we do. We don't <laughs> I was like, we we just we just pick up on the stories. I'm so like, that yeah, is that a problem. Where are the women? <laughs> So Calling all the, dead women. 
Exactly. So having that in mind, we were headed east. We always want to find when we're driving two women around the country. We want to find a gas station that we can see off the main route. And, Close to uh, fast food. Yeah, 100%. So I couldn't really see it from the road, but we were running low on gas. So I was like, well, let's just stop here. And we made this decision to stop making a left turn into what turned out to have been West, West Union. Now we're at the gas station and there was something bad beckoning to you from the distance. What do you remember what that was? I think we always do this dance together because, you know, we don't have unlimited time on the road and we take expressways when we can, but we have to find those small towns. And the only way you can find those small towns where the voices are, where those stories are, is by taking a risk and taking off Mm -hmm. and like go driving off in some random direction. And you just have to trust your intuition. Or I should say, we just have to trust our intuition. And this was one of those moments where it was like, are we going to dawdle around and like nowhere West Virginia? <laughs> or are we going to get back on the expressway and get some distance behind us? And we were just called to this little town in on a hill called West Union. Yes. And we were at the gas station. You were being beckoned towards what turned out to be the courthouse in town. Oh, I don't remember that. Is that yeah. what I was beckoned towards? Yes. And we were at this gas station. It was in this such a good memory for this. I, really I never do. remember where I am or what I'm doing, but um, I enjoy this. Keep going. And I remember you beckoning towards what turned out to be the courthouse at this little town above the hill. And I was Mm. like, we're going. It looks cute AF. We are going right now. And so we had to cross like a creek to get there. Mm -hmm. And we were driving around town and it did not disappoint. It was it didn't adorable. Of course, it was haunted, but it wasn't like creepy haunted. It wasn't scary. Right. It It was was enchanting. Yes, it was. It charmed us. It really did. It charmed us. It wanted us to stay. And <laughs> it did want us to stay. So we took a lot of pictures. It was a beautiful little town. I would live there if it wasn't for the elevation because I like to, quote unquote, jog. And there'd be no way I was getting a bike or walking up some of those hills. Yeah, right? the they hills were steep. steep. True. But other than that, I loved it. We drove around for a little while, stopped and took a lot of pictures of the beautiful, what looked to be Victorian architecture. And at some point, we passed a historical sign that told us just a little bit about the town of West Union. What did it say? Do you want me to tell you some of those facts right now? Oh, my God. Will you please (laughs) share with the listeners? There was a historical sign for West Union, and it said that it was settled in 1804. It became the county seat of Doddridge County in 1845, and it was incorporated in 1850. But on the sign, there was one more sentence that screamed out at us, and that was that the covered bridge built here before 1843 was lost in the 1950 flood. So we're like, wait a minute, this town was flooded? Like, what happened? So you started Googling to see, okay, what what's going on with this flood? Which is weird because we don't usually get on our phones and start Googling in real time, but something was telling us there was more to uncover about the town, the flood. It seemed like there was something that we were just getting to. What did you find, Jill? O-M-G. I'm starting to get goosebumps right now. Stop it. Okay. Actually, I found that there was a major fire in West Union in 1858. Hmm. Not only that, Jennifer. Tell me. But the fire occurred on March 27th, 1858, which is really weird (laughs) because 
we were Googling that information in West Union on March, March 27th, 2022, the 164th anniversary of the fire. Right. So the two of us, you get this information like, wait a minute, that is today. The anniversary of the fire is today, and we were like both right here. blown away, like right now, like right here. <laughs> and the two of us were like, wow, the fire obviously has some significance to our story and to the voices. Absolutely. But another weird part is that like a major fire went through this town, and we would not have known that. Like there was no yeah. memorializing it. No one no had sign, like nothing, no, nothing that we could it's see. It's very strange. Very strange. Right. Right. So what were your impressions while we were driving around West Union other than the fact that it was super enchanting? There was another feeling that was coming through, and that was the feeling of sisters or two women coming through almost as sisters. And and that mm-hmm. sort of psychic impression was definitely coming through. Like a sisterhood yes. vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's weird about that is that while we were in town or leaving, we saw a sign that said Sisterville. So that was like acknowledgement right there that there was some kind of female energy coming through, which really excited you, I'm sure. Like your tail was wagging. <laughs> you were getting a little excited. Finally, some women. Exactly. I was feeling it. So we did the research on the fire because, of course, we were there on the same day. What did you find out about the fire? So the fire... According to the Cooper's Clarksburg Register, which was a periodical out of Clarksburg, West Virginia, on April 2nd, 1858, it said a fire broke out in the residence of Dr. R.L. Charter of West Union and extended eastward and across the street, consuming that building, the hotel and the buildings attached and several other houses and one stable, making it in all nine houses and three stables. So, Jill, essentially, the entire little town of West Union in 1858 was burned to the ground. Oh, my God. The other thing that the article mentioned was that, one, the value of the property destroyed in the fire was about $12,000. That's a lot in 1850. That is a lot in 1858. And there was also no insurance on any of the property that was destroyed. And I think that was probably reported because... I think if there had been insurance collected on the destruction, one might consider arson as a potential cause of the fire, right? Right. A deliberate act to get insurance money, insurance fraud. But the article made it a point to say that there was no insurance on any of the property and a lot of prominent business people were out a lot of money. Okay, so... The whole town burns down, essentially. Pretty much. Pretty much. And did anyone get hurt? How did how did the people fare in as the fire? As far as I could tell, no one was reported to have died in the fire. Okay, but how did no one... I mean, I'm grateful, but how did no one get hurt? That's an excellent question. And the funny thing is, Jill, even though nobody died, and so you'd think there'd be witnesses to how this happened, there are surprisingly, surprisingly few details that were reported about the fire that destroyed the city. But everyone survived. How did they not know? How did they not know enough to report like what caused the fire? So here's what we do know. It started in the upper part of Dr. Charter's house due to, quote unquote, an accident. 
the upper part of Dr. Right. So like in the bedroom of the doctor's house, there was an accident with matches. What are we talking? There are no further details about who started it or what happened or what it, what that accident was. Well, that's weird because everyone survived. <laughs> Why? Right. You'd think that if there was a an accident that that destroyed an entire town, right, that people would ask questions. It wasn't like a whoopsie daisy. What was the nature of the accident and what was going on in upstairs of Dr. Charter's house? Right. Exactly. I mean, you burnt down the entire town and $12,000 of money in 1858. I would assume that people would want to understand like what happened so it doesn't happen again. Like, There's another curious thing about about the night of the fire, March 27th, 1858. Tell me everything. Well, at that time, many of the citizens in town were not at home. They were absent, apparently attending United States court in Clarksburg because the court was in session. What? What is So people just go to court for fun? I don't understand. I don't quite understand it either, but it kind of makes sense because, they, you know, they didn't have TV. Mm. There was no internet, no computers. True. So what did people do for entertainment? I, I guess they would go see a court case. You know what? To be honest, I personally was very transfixed on the Amber Heard Johnny Depp case. Exactly. And like I watched all of it see? and all the spoofs on TikTok. So I get you. I get you, West <laughs> Union. Right. But it's also important to note that it would not have been everybody who would have attended court, right? It wouldn't have been servants. Right. It wouldn't have been enslaved people. There would have been people left back at town during the time of the fire that would not have been prominent citizens. I, I again, want to draw attention with mm-hmm. everyone lived, right? The whole town was destroyed. A lot of people lost a lot of money. And yet there is no official cause of the fire. And I feel like that's a little suspect to me. But what do we know about this Dr. L.R. Charter? Tell me what you uncovered. Okay, so of course, it was his house where the fire started. So it makes sense to delve into this man a little bit. Mm, Please. His name was Dr. Lathrop Russell Charter. We're calling him Dr. Charter. He was born in 1816 in Massachusetts, and he lived to the ripe old age of 93. That is old. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah. And he spent most of his life in West Union. Now, much of the narrative information about his life has come from a source called The History of West Virginia, Old and New, which was published in Hmm. 1923 by the American Historical Society. Tell me everything. Dr. Charter was born into a prominent family. He studied medicine in New York, and he was also friends with the great American novelist James Fenimore Cooper. You may recall that he was the author of The Last of the Mohicans. Great movie. The only Cooper... I know is Bradley. I don't know this man. I'm so sorry to this man, but I do not know you. Well, you you may know the movie, The Last of the Mohicans, based on this book, which starred a very hot Daniel Day-Lewis, which, by the way, can do no wrong. He can do drama. He can do adventure. He's amazing. I do not think Daniel Day-Lewis is hot. Have you seen this movie? I wouldn't have thought so either. Okay, so you no, have to see this movie never. and report back because he is surprisingly hot. I don't know about that. I but we, said what I, I said. Will, I will I will take the challenge. I will take the okay. challenge. 
All right. But I am I am iffy on it. In 18, trust me, in 1843 in New York, Dr. Charter married a young lady named Lucia Hale, and he moved his wife and infant son to West Union in 1845. Okay. Lucia would ultimately bear him six children. Oh, Lucia, that's a lot, girl. Mm-hmm. By the way, sad end to Lucia. She would end up dying in 1867 in West Union. But Dr. Mm. Charter would go on to marry Elizabeth Frazier three years later in 1870. Okay. How did they meet? Jennifer. Yes. How did um, Dr. Charter meet Elizabeth Frazier? Well, she had been his housekeeper, interestingly. Mm -hmm. She was also 28 years younger than he. Ooh, Lizzie. At the time of their marriage, she was 26 and he was 54. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yikes. You know, I just want to take a minute here because I imagine that uh, Elizabeth was their housekeeper while Lucia was alive. Yes, I would imagine the same. And one wonders when that spark started, that romantic spark between them. You know what I'm saying? God. Yeah. Like if she worked for him, if she worked for the family, like And I guess it would be best case scenario for Elizabeth that he married her. Well, yeah. I know, but it's still uncomfortable to say. It's just it's just it feels dirty all the way around. I mean, I don't know. You know, we're taking a leap here. We really don't know when she started working for the family. Intuition tells me that it was before Lucia died, but Mm-mm-mm. Okay. Please continue. Dr. Charter has a great reputation as a physician, if you look in the histories and the narratives. Okay. He served the town of West Union and all the country around West Union. Isn't that typical, though? Like, I mean, of a country doctor? Probably. But the yeah. narratives do make it a point to say that he was a very conscientious doctor. And he would attend to the sick over miles and miles of the hardest kinds of roads. I mean, Jill, West Virginia roads. Yeah, the roads. No joke. I have nothing but respect for you, West Virginia drivers. I am not kidding you. But honestly, inclement weather. I I mean, I'm just telling you what the narratives say. I just think that they're doing much to do about nothing. It's like it would have probably been easier for Dr. Charter to get on a horse in, in that weather than it was me and my Toyota. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a thing. Like, he was driving around taking care of people in the country. That's, that's what rough. you do when you're a doctor. But he was a good doctor. But that's he did he, it. That's what he does. I don't like him. I don't like him. You're pretty prejudiced against this man. Can you just hear me out? The The narratives no. do make it a point to say that he was a good doctor. He was a conscientious doctor. He made a lot of effort to attend to sick, even if he had to travel over the hardest terrain in inclement weather. And he never, this is a quote, never giving the matter of remuneration a thought. So never asking you know, for more money because of uh, the difficulty <sighs> he endured. He swore an oath to be a doctor and to take care of people. I am not impressed by him doing it. Well, I don't it. think I appreciate your attitude. <laughs> I'm just telling you, like, that's not... Okay, so you were a All doctor. Right. So he was Continue. also a religious man. Aw, and we know every religious man is a good man. He was one of the founders of the Methodist Episcopal Church at West Union, and he was a generous mm-hmm. supporter of the church and of its program and activities. So, Jill, he was a church-going religious man. Again... 
Never a problem with a church-going religious man. He was also a big wig in West Union for another reason. He was involved in politics. Oh. He was the third superintendent of schools in Dotteridge County. He was officiated as mayor of West Union, magistrate, and United <sighs> States commissioner. And for 15 years was the United States pension examiner. Not impressed? No. What do you want me to say? It's, it's, I, I don't like him. This just makes the fire situation more suspicious Why to me. So now you have this guy, because everyone's like blowing smoke up at this rich guy's ass, being like, he was a doctor that took care of people. Oh, my. And yet they didn't find out what caused his house to burn. It just combusted and taking the entire town with it. It just seems a little suspicious to me. I 100% agree with you. Nobody looked into like why his house burned down. Like it's just an accident. It was just like, oopsie. Did nobody ask anybody who was there? Did nobody investigate? It wasn't like it was in the kitchen. Like I said, we're talking about an upstairs upstairs room. If someone said an accidental fire occurred in the kitchen, like I would be like, okay, that checks out. But what are you doing in the bedroom? Right. It doesn't make sense. And no one cares enough to investigate. Well, especially because nobody died. You know, if somebody died during the accident, you'd be like, oh, well, we lost the only witness to the accident. But nobody died. So did nobody ask the people that were home what the accident was about? Like, I don't understand. Jennifer, I feel like you have to unveil this man for who he is because I have bad feelings about Dr. Mm. Charter. Tell me. There were. So I described some of the oral narratives that have been published over the years, but there's also some very unflattering facts about Dr. Charter. In the public record that isn't in any type of narrative. This is true. In fact, he was a slaveholder. Huh. Mm -hmm. And well, a lot of people back then in this town, in fact, were slaveholders. And he, he fathered at least one enslaved child. Say that last part. He seems to have fathered a daughter whose mother was enslaved by him. How do you know this? Because the Dotterich County birth records contain an entry for a female born alive in West Union in 1858. Now, if you look at the ledger, as with all other entries in this type of style of writing in these birth records, only the child's first name is given, and her name was Julia. The exact date of birth is left blank. But if you look at all the other entries, it appears that she was born late in the year in 1858. Now, this is really, really interesting. The child's race was first written as a W for white, but had been crossed out and corrected as C.S. What is C.S.? Which would have stood for colored slave. Father's name, L.R. Charter. Dr. Charter was listed as a father. Mm-mm-mm. Mother's name is left blank. And the informant or the person giving this information to the clerk was himself, L.R. Charter, Dr. Charter, listed (sighs) as, quote unquote, master. I think it's funny that Dr. Charter went to go tell of his daughter's birth. And they're like, oh, Dr. Charter, hello. Oh, you have a girl. Okay, Julia. Okay. White. Oh. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Yeah. Right. right. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, that, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> wow. Did you catch the date, Jill? No. What? The date of Julia's birth was 1858. And remember, the date of the fire was in March of 1858. 
There's a lot happening in Dr. Charter's life in 1858. There sure is. In fact, during the time of the fire, he would have had a pregnant African-American slave woman in his house. Wow. Yeah. So is there a connection between the fire that happened in March and Dr. Charter's indiscretions that were definitely happening before, during, and after that time? Well, you know what? His wife was still alive until 1867. That's true. So he had a wife. Yes. He had a a pregnant slave. And we don't know what time Elizabeth came into the picture. So I have to ask you, Psychically, do you think that there is a connection between the fire and between Julia, who would be born later that same year, and Julia's pregnant mother, who was living and or working in the house at the time of the fire? Gosh, Jen. First of all, intuitively, I do not like I've I've never liked Dr. Charter. You've been pretty clear about that. I don't think that Julia's mom was responsible for the fire deliberately, I don't think so either. But there's definitely some bad mojo happening in that house. What do you think? 100%. I don't think Julia's mom would have tried to burn down the house. I don't think that there would be anything good that she could have thought could come out of that. And I don't think she would do it out of spite. But you're you're starting to get a picture of how this man ran his household and how he treated the people who were subservient to him in his household. And that certainly would have caused frustration, anger, indignation, perhaps jealousy. Mm. There's all kinds of bad feelings, bad mojo happening here. And I do think the two are connected. Do you think Lucia knew that Julia's mom was pregnant? I mean, his name is the official father on Julia's birth record. Just it's just a thought. I don't think that Lucia had anything to do with it. You mean did Lucia burn her own house down? No. No, I don't no. think that she did, but do you think that she I knew do think she that knew. her husband I do think she oh, knew that her husband God. was a piece of shit. I do. Oh, oh. I okay. mean, if we're just going to go. Took there. it a step farther. <laughs> <laughs> farther than I was going, but okay. There we are. What else did you discover about Dr. Charter that lends itself to the same kind of um archetype? Um, Yes. Great word for it. Research on Dr. Charter led me straight to another man named Luke Jaco. Who is Luke and why do I care? Luke Jaco. And I don't know if I'm saying his last name correctly. It's J-A-C-O. I suppose it could be Jaco. I'm not sure how it's pronounced in the area. I'm going to call him Jaco. Luke Jaco's life was saved by Dr. Charter. Okay. Dr. Charter saved his life after Luke was shot and left for dead on the road. And to this day, Luke Jaco is something of a local legend in West Union. Okay, tell me why. So there's a place in West Union called Jaco Hill, named Mm -hmm. after Luke Jaco. That makes sense. It's still a well-known landmark in Doddridge County. And there is a commonly told story of Luke as reported in the history of Doddridge County, which was published in 1979 by the Doddridge County Historical Society. Interesting. What did the Historical Society have to say about Jaco? They said that Jaco Hill was named for Luke Jaco, who came to Doddridge County around 1845. By the way, that was the same year that Dr. Charter brought his family to West Union. It's a big year for West Union. 
The tract of land he bought included the hill, and he built a large log house at the foot of the hill on the west side. And here, Jaco opened a tavern and established a stopping station for stagecoaches and travelers. So we had an inn. It was a tavern. It's a convenient location. We went right past it. We sure did. Now, there are a lot of stories told about Jaco's inn. For instance... Cattlemen and other wealthy guests stopping at the inn are said to have been murdered and buried in the cave not far away. My goodness. And there's also a story that human bones were uncovered there. Ooh. I don't know. Like, I feel like if we were that close and there were like bones and like this, this cave. I know. You'd think we would have been, we would have been picking up on that. I didn't feel that. Exactly. Not at all. But let me go back to this account here. Tell me everything. It also goes on to say that Jaco's Inn and the cave were a part of the Underground Railroad, where slaves could hide temporarily while fleeing to freedom via the Ohio River. And the slaves had to have, you know, trustworthy people to help them. And because of Jaco's past and what happened to him, it seemed logical for him to make his inn and cave a haven for them. Well, what are you saying? What what happened to him? Okay, so here's a pivotal moment in Jaco's life, according to the legend. Okay. One day in November of 1849, Luke Jaco was shot from an ambush and left dying by an unknown enemy on the road. A passerby, a good Samaritan, stopped and found him and called the doctor, who was Dr. Charter, of course. And the doctor had to amputate Jaco's arm. And the experience of being left for dead on the road and then being saved caused Luke Jaco to become a changed man. Luke offered his own tavern as a church meeting house and was himself converted. So in other words, after this traumatic experience of being saved miraculously, he became a man of God and then gave his life to helping enslaved people escape to freedom. Do we have any description of the man Jacob was before he met Jesus, (laughs) before he found Jesus? Right? Yeah. Okay. So we know that there was some research done and published about Luke Jaco from a 2021 article by Jennifer Wilt of the Dotterich County Heritage Guild. Luke Jaco was born about 1808 in Virginia, now West Virginia. In 1830, he married Elizabeth Prunty, P-R-U-N-T-Y. I'm going to call it Prunty. They moved to the county and settled on Arnold's Creek near the base of the hill, now Jaco's Hill, where he operated the tavern and hotel on the northwestern turnpike, which is now Route 50. And after the Civil War, they moved to Missouri with their son, Benjamin. So he did really live there. He did really have an inn and a tavern at the base of the hill. That's all based in fact. Yeah, but who was he? Because they make... The the legend says that he became a changed man and he gave his tavern and hotel to God. Well, who was he before he met Jesus, before Jesus came a calling? Who was he? There are numerous documented court cases that support the fact that Luke Jacob was a cantankerous and eccentric man. 
He was charged several times with assault and battery on several of his neighbors. Not only that, but there are newspaper articles that refer to him as a drunk even after his coming to Jesus. Mm. They refer to him as a drunk preacher, but continue. He made outrageous accusations against people and was involved in years of contentious litigation because of it. I wonder, I couldn't find what he was saying about his neighbors. Like, what could he have said about them to make them I could say a lot of things about my neighbors. (laughs) But would they sit like so so bad that that they would sue you? I will tell you this, however. Despite what was written in the oral histories that I read to you earlier, there is absolutely no evidence of murder by Luke Jaco. There's no evidence that any murder occurred at the tavern. But there is evidence that he really was a son of a bitch. Yes, yes. And involved in a lot of court cases against his neighbors. (laughs) And his neighbors did not like him. What about the attack? The attack is based in fact. Tell me. No. Well, I mean, if he was like a... (laughs) If he was a drunk and a mean drunk and uh-huh. talking all kinds of trash about your neighbors. Right. So, yeah, I can see someone attacking him. What happened? The facts are a little different than the legend. The attack actually did occur. And newspaper articles reported on it in places like Boston and Philadelphia. Oh, wow. So It was, it was kind of big news. I'm going to read you this short article from The Liberator, which was published out of Boston on November 9th, 1849. It said, Luke Jaco of Dotterich County was on Friday week attacked by a man named George Whitehair, who first discharged his rifle at him, the ball taking effect in his right arm, and afterwards threw him upon the ground and beat him upon the head with a rock until apparently lifeless. Oh, my. The parties had been at variance for a number of years. Mr. Jaco's arm had been amputated and he was in critical condition oh (laughs) white hair had enough of him he was done he had absolutely no more f's to give he was like nope no more what it i wonder what he said about white hair behind his back (laughs) because white hair was pissed oh my god what is interesting to me about the facts is that the legend is like, oh, he was ambushed on the road and left dying by an unknown enemy. No, one of his pissed off neighbors just had (laughs) enough of his shit. Yeah, like legit, like had an out of body experience when he like, like, honestly, like he's like, oh, my God, that was my one bullet. Now he had to like run up on him with a rock. Seriously, he didn't just shoot him. Then he beat him in the head until he (laughs) thought he died. My goodness. And you know what? I'm just going to take it a step further. I don't see any evidence that George Whitehair was arrested or held accountable for that either. They're just like, no, he he had enough. He broke. <laughs> we get you, Whitehair. We get you. Uh-huh. Someone had to do it. As for the Underground Railroad portion of the legend, there is absolutely no evidence at all that the Underground Railroad was even in the area. Mm -hmm. Or that Luke Jaco assisted enslaved people in any way. That seems to be purely legend. Okay. Not only that, there's evidence of the contrary that Luke Jaco actually himself owned slaves. Okay. So this is in direct conflict, you would think, with the legend of him helping people escape, you know? Right. In the 1860 slave schedule... According to the actual record, he was the owner of a, and I'm using the words of the time. So please know these are not my words. I'm 
I'm reading from the record. He was the owner of a 33-year-old black female slave, a 13-year-old male mulatto slave, a 10-year-old male black slave, and a 7-year-old black female slave. And then if you go 10 years before that to the 1850 slave schedule, he's listed as the owner of a two-year-old male mulatto slave. Again, not your words. Not my words. But what's interesting about that is why would someone own a two-year-old male mulatto slave? It That seems like an expense, which is... Right. And no mother. That is the only slave that he owned in 1850. You wouldn't acquire a two-year-old slave. No. Right? Like, it's not something you would purchase. This, right. Like, and the fact that he's a quote-unquote mulatto, again, not my word, but would mean that he was part white. So was Luke Jaco the father? Did something happen to the mother? I have so many questions about this. And is that two-year-old male in the 1850 slave schedule the same as like the 13-year-old male who's listed in the 1860? Like, is that his son? I, I, I have so many questions. I don't know. Is there anything else notable that sticks out while you're researching Jaco? Yeah. Well, there's more. Okay. Hit me with it. What do you got? According to the County Minute Books, there are two entries entitled, quote, Overseer of the Poor of Dotterich County versus Luke Jaco upon a warrant of bastardy. In other words, Luke Jaco had fathered two children out of wedlock while he was married to his wife, Elizabeth. Wow. According to Jennifer Wilt of the Dotterich County Heritage Guild, Susanna Tucker was an unmarried woman who lived on Arnold's Creek, not far from Luke and Elizabeth Jaco. And after the birth of their two illegitimate children, Susanna petitioned the court for financial assistance to take care of the children. And as was the custom at the time, the overseer of the poor sued Luke Jaco for financial support. At first, he denied it. He said, those aren't my kids. She just Oh, my. (gasps) You think he said that? He probably did. Oh. After first denying any responsibility, Luke Jaco did eventually support their daughter, Amaretta Tucker. However, their son, Benjamin Tucker, moved in with his father and changed his name to Benjamin Jaco. So in other words, Susanna had two children by Luke Jaco, Amaretta, who we're going to call Emma, and Benjamin. Mm -hmm. And Benjamin would be raised by Jaco and his wife, Elizabeth, and then would eventually move to Missouri with them. But Emma would stay with her mother, Susanna, and Susanna would raise her alone. He did provide uh, some some support to Susanna because of the, the court case against him. Wow. Luke and Elizabeth would never have any children of their own, but they would raise Benjamin. Hmm. Doesn't it seem odd, though, that they would separate the children? Yeah. It just seems wrong. Especially because he was paying for them anyway. Why would he leave the daughter... You know what I mean? I it's do. not like he he didn't have financial responsibility to Emma if he left her there. He was ta- he was sending money because of the the judgment against him. You know what I mean? Like there would be no financial benefit to leaving her. He just denied his children the opportunity of knowing one another because we know from the research Benjamin had heard rumors that he had a sister still in West Union after moving to Missouri, and he would go out of his way several times to try to research and find who that system would be. And it wasn't until the end of his life that they actually reconnected. Yeah. And actually, Jennifer Wilt, who I keep referencing of Dotterich County Heritage Guild, you can look this up. She did a lot of research on the children of 
Luke Jaco and their legacy. That's super sad. Um, on a lighter note, every time you say Jennifer Wilt of Doddridge County Heritage Guild, I think of we represent the Heritage Guild like every the, single time <laughs> from the Wizard of Oz. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> every time I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any, (laughs) is there anything else that connects Dr. Charter to Luke Jaco? Like, why are these two in the same category? Why do you think they're connected in this way in spirit? Doing the research, I could not separate them in my head. Psychically, they were coming through together. And it makes sense because Dr. Charter, he is remembered as a good and conscientious doctor and a religious man and an upstanding pillar of West Union. And Luke Jaco, he has this fantastic and fictitious reputation Mm. about this reformation and this escape from death and being almost like a Moses to the enslaved people going through the area. Mm -hmm. Like born again and rose up to take care of people and to do right. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Both of them have these stellar reputations and are known for doing good. But both did dirty deeds. Both cheated Mm. on their wives. Yeah, both abused women and fathered yep. children that they didn't really take care of. Doctor Charter fathered a child by his female slave, right? Yes, and well, I would say we also may suspect the same of Jaco, who had that two-year-old on his senses in the eighteen fifty. I mean, exactly. Hmm. The power dynamic between any slave and her master. I mean, literally, it's rape. You can't consent. Exactly. To sex. You you would not be in a position to consent or deny. And then the two children that Jaco acknowledges that he fathered from Susanna, who was a poor, unmarried woman. I mean, when I say poor, when I was looking in Ancestry.com, like there was generational living. Like it was, she was poor. Mm. Yeah, poor thing. Well, it sounds like he took advantage of her as well. Absolutely. Because he was not poor. He was a man of means. And he took her son, Benjamin. Even if we were like, why didn't he bring them both? Why didn't he leave them I both? know. I wondered that, too. It's just a really sad story. And and it makes me angry that these two men have this reputation in the in the histories and their their dirty deeds are covered up. A lasting reputation. Right. Jen. Yeah. Who do you think is our voiceless and why? You know, this story to me, the research of it was so topsy-turvy because I, I started researching Jaco, Luke Jaco, and I found such conflicting information about him. On one hand, he's a murderer, right? And people would right. disappear after staying at his inn. And then on the other hand, he is this ridiculous deeming character who becomes a savior, so to speak, for these, you know, enslaved people. So usually when, you know, the hits point us in a direction and the research shows this dichotomy or this conflict Mm -hmm. of information, usually that's our voiceless, right? Right. Usually we step in to right the wrong and be like, aha. But for Jacob, 
it didn't end there. I kept running into Dr. Charter. Whatever, whenever I started researching, Jacob would bring me back to Dr. Charter. And then I started to question what was going on with Dr. Charter and uncovered some of the similar themes happening with Dr. Charter's life and his Mm -hmm. abuse of women and his fathering children outside of wedlock. What's interesting about that is that Jaco was someone in society who was looked down upon, who was a troublemaker, and he was doing the same behaviors as someone who was the pillar of society. Yes. And through it all, the the women's voices, it kept bringing me back to the women who were wronged. In this case, Julia's mother, who was enslaved by Dr. Charter, and Mm -hmm. also, oh my God, the wives. Yeah. Oh my gosh, their wives. wives. Absolutely. Oh, Jesus. I would be, oh my God. Think of the anger. So I would say there are a lot of voiceless in the story, but you have to honor the voices of the women because they were so wronged and they didn't, they didn't have a voice literally at the time, whether you're looking at the wives of these men or the women who were abused by these men. If we take it a step further and look at the story through our modern day lens, what do you, what is it saying to us? What I appreciate about history is I truly believe that you don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. So as Mm. a woman who lives in this society, you have to look back at the women who lived before us and you have to honor those women who had fewer freedoms and fewer say in their own lives. And if you look at where we are now, you still see some of those same themes coming through. We're not at the same place we were, but we're not there yet. You know, yeah, we are not we are there not yet. Not there yet. We there are rights that we still need to fight for, but but let's honor those women who who lived in a time when they had even even less. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a hard thing to contemplate because on one hand, I am so grateful that I am not a woman of the 1800s, right? Right. Like, I am so grateful that I don't have to worry about my husband having sex with multiple women and, and getting them pregnant and having no recourse, right? Well, and we also don't have to worry about being a servant in somebody's house because there are no other work. There's no other work for women and or an Mm -hmm. enslaved woman who really Mm -hmm. either one of them, either the servant or the poor woman or the enslaved woman has absolutely no say in their own reproduction. Right, right. So it's it's like it's a hard it's a hard thing to be like, oh, my God, I'm so grateful that I am not born in the 1800s and I'm not a servant and I'm not a slave. But on the other hand, it's like we're not like you said, the work isn't done. It's there are still done. things that we have to to work to for. come to term with in our current society that still has a power imbalance between men and women. But we have come a long way. Oh, hell yes. And we stand and on the shoulders yes, of these women. Yes, we're standing on the shoulders of these women who bore so many of the hurts and injustices. And In some cases, the nameless women. Yes. We're still referring to Julia's mom as Julia's mom. I know. I wish I knew her name. So, Jen, can we revisit our hits and why we're super duper amazing? <laughs> When I was picking up on a disabled man, I think I was picking up on Jaco. He was disabled 100%. because he was he only had one he arm. He got tore up. He did get he got tore up. Tore up. Yeah. Whitehead got the best of him <laughs> and didn't even get in trouble for it. Not that I found. Uh-uh. Right. People were probably shaking his hand. They're like, oh, you got him. <laughs> right. And not only that, I mean, to say he wasn't well-liked is an understatement. He was being sued. He One of his neighbors freaking almost killed him. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about our grandpa. Our grandfather, Dorsey. 
Oh, womanizer. Mm-hmm. He liked to drink. Mm. He was free loving. Mm. It points us to Jaco for sure. 100%. And it being a hard place to live. I think that that was from the perspective of the women in the story. Mm-hmm. And then that feeling of sisters. I do feel like the women are coming through as sisters. You know, it almost feels like a sisterhood of voices coming through. Absolutely. To us. And also that courthouse, the fact that we were drawn to the courthouse, and I think the role of the courthouse in Jaco's life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that that makes sense He as was well. there a lot. He was there a lot. <laughs> and then that whole fire. The fire brought us to Dr. Charter. The fire. I still want answers on that fire. I know. That doesn't make sense. I know. It doesn't make this sense. This is a well-liked man, and his house burns down and takes the town with it. Can we have answers, people? It's a cover-up, Jill. Dr. Charter obviously didn't want the facts known. That's a true statement. All right. Are we ready to tell the people where they can find us? Yes, please. Check out our website, commonmystics.net. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Common Mystics Pod. But if you happen to be on Apple, please leave us a positive review so other people can find us. Yay. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night.